to another edition How are of you? The, Oh God, you know, it just so <laughs> this is the These the, are the things that give me joy. I think that you should not, you know, shit on those things. Uh-huh. This is the Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast. I'm Joe Patrice. I'm joined by Catherine Rubino and Chris Williams. We're all from Above the Law, and we're here to give you a rundown of some of the biggest stories in the legal industry of the past week. That's our usual mission. And how's everybody doing today? Or this is a segment we like to call small talk. Do it. No. By no. all means, everybody should start, you know, whenever. Yeah, you start it, go. <laughs> Got you, Ed. You ain't gonna get us this time. All right. So, I felt like I had an ally there. It was really good and important. I felt seen. No. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. So this, of course, is our you know, our ongoing St. Louis appreciation podcast. <laughs> uh, no. And here's when the phone clicks. <laughs> uh, so, Chris, you weren't with us last week because you were in St. Louis. How was that? I've never had tetanus, but I guess it was better than that. Okay. Um, see, I, I strongly, I strongly. So you set the bar real low. Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, the arches are nice, but that's not where the level begins. I, I strongly hold the best place in St. Louis to go is to sleep. Mm-hmm. It is a city for the Amish, you know, like mm-hmm. if you've been in an actual city, you're like, where's the transportation? Where's the being big enough that I can be forgotten? You know, where's food up at 2 a.m.? But St. Louis doesn't have that, you know, people go to sleep at reasonable times, like 930 or 10, like they have families or something. I'm like, I'm trying mm-hmm. to get something from the convenience store. This isn't a city. This is a, this is a town behavior. Um, but you know, village behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Amish New York. Um, yeah. <laughs> that that their new slogan. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be new for them in like fifty years. It's another thing. Uh, writing in St. Louis, I had to adapt to the the, the time zone difference, which for me is a a, a, an, a great metaphor that just shows how behind the Midwest is. But hey, you know, it's some people love it there. Um, I met some cool people there. Some cool people stayed there. It was surprising how many people from my cohort were still in the city, and it was nice to see them. Now, by cohort, I guess we, if people aren't, you know, routine listeners to the show, you went to law school in St. Louis. So that's, that's what you mean by your cohort. So of your graduating class, a lot of folks stayed, which isn't too surprising, obviously. A, no, no, a no, law no, no, school no. In St. Louis. Some folks, some folks okay. stayed, which is surprising. Okay. <laughs> I mean, for a law there's a, there's school, a difference that, there. There's a difference there. I mean, it's a law school that you know is, is in that town, so you would assume that the recruiting is more powerful there. But I think it's also fair to say that a lot of folks probably. It's fair know, to it's say a that a lot of folks went to law school. The, well, now, we're getting that's right? actually a great mm-hmm. transition, uh-huh. but I wasn't ready to transition yet. So it's it's probably more fair I'll to put say a pin that, in that. Okay, so a lot of people uh, <laughs> <Fight>. went to. <clears throat> wait, where where do you okay can we just so more people went to i don't know what chicago like what what are the big markets uh for where people went i don't know should i yes but i yeah. went there because they had a nice they had a nice financial package i just kind of well, right no i didn't mean yours i mean like where, where did your you know you you've recently caught up with folks where where oh. are they all I mean, yeah. hell, they probably went to cooler places like Nebraska. It's just like, why are you in St. Louis? That's, that's, that's wow. the thing. I got a couple friends. One is in Texas. Um, okay. Working working for the man. And I got another friend who's in California, you know, working for the man. A lot of people move to work for men. 
I yes. have one friend who's you know, either in either in like New York or the Virgin Islands. I don't know. Those are different. Yeah. 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 You think because they are, but my memory is trash. Right. But I love them. They're good people, so they know that I care. So yeah, no. Uh, this this of course happened. You caught up with these people last week. So if anybody's wondering about Chris's short term memory, uh, <laughs> we should please all be deeply disturbed. Yeah. There there will be a GoFundMe set up at some point here. While it is a thing on the list. Anybody that has interacted with me frequently knows that my short memory is the least disturbing thing about me. <laughs> I keep a Rolodex of disturbance. You know, I just show them like Batman's uh, utility belt. I have a bunch of them. that just all Chris-related shenanigans. What did you do this weekend, Joe? Uh, I thought we were transitioning. Uh, I did nothing. Oh, I watched basketball. You know, there's the tournament's on. So I watched those games. We have one more because we're from based on when we're recording this. Uh, our speaking of brackets, the above the law, who's the biggest disgrace in law bracket concluded. Uh, congratulations to champion Rudy Giuliani. Uh, dun, dun, it, was, it was a hard fought victory, but mm. you know, took you out Alan it. Dershowitz at the last minute. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, and actually pulled away towards the end against Dershowitz. So wait, is is yeah. he is he still doing those cameos? Because he one, sure is. We, the pettiest thing would be to have him narrate him winning. Yes, I know. Congratulations I to that, me for being horrible. Well, that I, I actually put that in one of the articles. So Ooh, uh, okay, okay, a couple weeks that, ago, I, I did my I, reading. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, so I said that somebody needs to see if we can convince him to congratulate himself on winning this. But whatever. I'm sure All the right. price went up, so I'm willing to throw down 25 bucks. Yeah, I think it's 300 these days, something Ooh. like that. Well, I mean, guy's got to pay his legal bills yeah. somehow. Because, you know. He's not barred. Because, mm. you know, he can't practice and probably he's shouldn't really. being investigated for, you know, federal crimes. A bunch of things. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> As it turns out. Yeah, it's not good. I mean, he, he's not charged with anything. Obviously, that's good for him. All of his friends are, so not bad good for, for him. him. Yeah. Anyway, so with that, I think we should transition as Catherine was setting up, concluding our small talk and moving into a discussion of law schools. Uh, we have the new U.S. News and World Report rankings out. It's exciting. Not for Harvard. Ooh, yeah, no. Uh, for who? The, the rank, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> some some school in Boston. school in Cambridge. Yeah. Now, I think, yeah. Now, and given that they dropped, I think they can now refer to themselves as some school in Boston. Because I hate that when you meet the Harvard people, and I'm like, where do you go? Like, oh, what school in Boston? I'm like, oh, you know, the the university, whatever general thing they have. But now they can say that with less pretension. After the drop, there's some storylines to get to out of these rankings. Uh, probably the biggest is the aforementioned Harvard drop for ever and ever and ever. The rankings have been Yale at, on the top and Stanford and Harvard somewhere right below. Harvard is now fallen to a tie for fourth place with Chicago stealing that third slot. You know, eh, how much importance should we be placing on any of this? I mean, it's still Harvard. I think that's probably right. I mean, the mm -hmm. average non-lawyer knows Harvard Law School a shit ton more than they know Chicago Law. Yeah. Truth. That's just the truth. Well, and uh, Paul Karen had a great uh, Pepperdine Dean uh, at um, a text prof blog, uh, did some good numbers. Uh, the peer component where part of the these rankings are how, actually, you'll 
probably the largest single part of these rankings are how the rest of the legal community views the school. Uh, and then there's some other inputs, of course. But on that, Harvard still outranks all of these schools other than Yale. So I thought in the most recent one, Yale actually took a tumble to five in the peer rankings. Yeah. So they did not take a tumble far. Uh, Harvard and Stanford are on top and Yale is right behind by 0.1. That's for the overall rankings. No, that, that's in the that's in the peer ranking. You know, of course, that puts them in a tie with the other schools you would expect, the CCN schools, as we call them, Chicago, Columbia, and NYU. So Harvard, Stanford at 4.7, the, all those schools at 4.6. That's still a very good score. Now, that said, in previous years, the peer score had been divided with Yale, Stanford, Harvard all tied at one, Columbia slightly below, Chicago and NYU below that. Mm -hmm. uh, the difference here, I mean, on the one hand, there's Yale taking this slight dip, put that to one side. But Harvard, who gets kind of done dirty in the actual full rankings, is still number one in the peer ranking, which is still the, the biggest component. So, you know, what's going on here? Does it really mean anything? I, I, I contend it probably doesn't. I think we're very much dancing on the head of a pin with the top six schools, but or seven as the case may be, which brings me to the other major storyline from my perspective that is a, a grand tragedy, which is that NYU is in seventh for some reason, another ridiculous decision made by this new algorithm. Now, I've been on record for a very long time saying that the sort of rivalry that you have perpetuated between you and I, because we went to the law schools in the same city, I went mm -hmm, to Columbia, mm -hmm. you went to NYU, uh, was kind of a, a weird dickish move that kind of just reeks of elitism. And I wasn't really here for it. But if you're going to come for me, obviously, I'll respond in kind. I mean, it definitely um, reeks of elitism. You you went to an Ivy League school and I went to the plucky underdog. I mean, I think that's fair. There There is elitism to how you deal with this. But, you know, I've to, I persevered. To be clear, for years, all he says is about the year he went that NYU was ranked slightly above Columbia. My Kinda point was. is, yeah. I don't necessarily agree with this, quote, good-natured, unquote, uh, uh, rivalry that uh, we have over law schools, but the fact that yours is not doing so great did fill my heart with joy. I will say that for sure. I mean, I understand that, you know, you wake up and choose violence every day, and <laughs> I am I am not that person. That's fine. So anyway- You, you started it! I, I, only to the extent that I went to law school a year before you. I would have- mm, Mm. Okay. Sure. Anyway. You can say that. I just want to say to everybody, whatever you're ranked doesn't really matter. You're all important people, except if you go to Vanderbilt, because they are ranked 17 and Washington mm -hmm. was ranked 16, and those bastards waitlisted <laughs> me. So take that. Take that, Vandy. Yes. <laughs> that, uh, that brings us to probably the third big story of all of this, which is that we're back to the Standard T14, to the extent that that metric has any value when it comes to law schools, the top 14 schools have historically been the same top 14 schools through the history of this ranking. There have been, you know, some changes uh, at the margins there, but they tend to be the same schools, which has created a, I think, overblown belief that schools 12, 13, 14 are by some re some 
metric better than schools 15, 16, 17. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think the consistency of them being there does not denote that there's a jump off point at 14. But we are back to those schools being up there again with UCLA falling a place to 15. It had been the interloper into the top 14 with Georgetown having fallen off. So Georgetown's back. UCLA is back in at 15. Wash U remains at 16. Uh, the value of Chris's degree perseveres. I mean, the debt definitely does. Yeah. <laughs> Below that, Texas and Vanderbilt both dropped a place. Boston University jumped up three to create a tie at 17. Obviously, Wash U, I feel like Wash U, Vanderbilt, like that tier is in competition. So good for Wash U on that front. But the the other deep thought I have is that this run from 15 to about 30 is populated by a great number of state schools and public institutions, which is one hopes is being driven by the fact that these rankings now include not nearly as powerful a metric as it is in our own above the law rankings, which will come out later. But they do have a bit of a debt metric in there now to try and you know, make some sense of schools having value if they leave you with less debt on the back end. And that's why you see a bunch of public institutions all right in a row here in this next tier. So keep those in mind. I guess that was my other big thought here. What do you, you have anything else, Catherine? No, no, Chris, not even a little bit. Chris, you have any deep thoughts about these rankings Um, or not? You know, I, 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 I can't pretend to care. Fair enough. <laughs> The only other thing that we thought was of some interest is that the more unabashedly right-wing your school is, the higher you ended up in the rankings this year. Which, you know, listen, I was there for the conspiracy theory of it all, but it doesn't look like that was what it was. It seems like that might not have been the issue, yeah. Uh, Even though some more right-wing schools all took major jumps, uh, it did turn out that those schools all, for whatever reason, had really knock it out of the park years on the bar exam. And that's obviously a major component, a bigger component this year as the U.S. News upped the, hey, you all got people past the bar exam component of their rankings. Another move that they're doing to be more like our above the law rankings. Ding, ding. Uh, (laughs) Well, historically, the U.S. News rankings put most of its emphasis on the inputs to law school. Their applicants... You know, their accepted students had better grades. Their accepted students had better LSAT scores. All of these input stuff, as opposed to the output stuff, like they didn't leave them in massive amounts of debt, and they actually managed to get a job and actually managed to pass the bar exam. So we've always had a ranking that focuses on outputs and what schools are able to give you on the back end. You know, it seems as though U.S. News is trying to do things to be a little bit more like our rankings. So good for them. But it is interesting that it happens kind of that they're looking at outputs in a year when there might be other factors that that Im- that impact those those outputs. Those these numbers are mid pandemic, right? So while obviously whether or not you can get a job is incredibly important, whether or not somebody's actively looking for a job because of the pandemic and other related, you know, just the world is kind of crazy right now might also, you know, be a factor. 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the the year that they kind of put the the finger on the scale in that direction is the year when there might be, you know, it, it might be a bubble that in a couple of years really, you know, washes itself out. Yeah, I am very interested to see what bar exam now that bar exams are going to go back to traditional approaches, you know, no more of these online exams with all the problems that those had. Will, you know, other states doing some some diploma privilege, which counts, uh, you know, it, the I think that the way the U.S. News looks at it is just whether or not you're able to practice in that state, as opposed to, you know, you actually pass a bar exam. So, you know, things like folks doing diploma privilege or, or that kind of stuff would obviously change, would, would change that. And I think also U.S. News is now looking at Every state that your graduates took bars in as opposed to just the the one where most of your graduates took the bar in, mm-hmm. which is obviously also different. So so maybe that's it. Now more folks are taking different tests. Who's to say? Still going to be interesting to see how this plays out uh, as years go forward. Mm-hmm. I, uh, once again, don't put too, too much emphasis on rankings if you're out there as a prospective law student. Consider the, I, I always say, consider the rankings in bands. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't sit there and go, well, 17 is worse than 15. Start looking in the concept of, you know, seven or eight schools on either side of a number probably are all close and make your decision based on that kind of logic if you're going to make a prestige decision. And also look at schools in bands. If you are have an option to go to a regional school that has a strong pull that costs about two hundred thousand dollars less, that's not a bad choice. <laughs> right. um, places like Rutgers and Temple have really strong influence in the Philadelphia area. So yeah, like if, you know things like that. Consider it. Yeah, it, it, the at the end of that, you have to live in Philadelphia, but otherwise. Hey, now, are you oh, coming no, for no. Gritty? No, 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 of course not. Uh, gritty that's... is the danger. Best believe, like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gritty's Gritty's on my Twitter profile, so, you know, that's the picture I have on there. Anyway, point is, yes, uh, and these are all things that we tend to discuss in our decision feature, which we haven't really been doing this year. But historically, always keep in mind that if you're in the position of making a decision between a couple of offers for law school and you kind of want some insight on which of these should you choose, always send that to us at tips at above the law will you know we when we get a bunch of them together we often do a show uh walking through which of the two we would and discussing which of the two we might do so yep. all right with that is it time to move on or oh oh, oh phone call. somebody get that yeah we're busy we're we're recording a podcast we are. actually so we should have uh receptionist service take care of that for us and that's why we're going to hear from our, the folks at posh As a lawyer, ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call when you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting. That's where Posh comes in. We're live virtual receptionists who answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. And the Posh app lets you control when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Start your free trial today at Posh.com. Okay. So, Catherine, the rest of the story, big stories of the week were all your uh, mm. your neck of the woods. Tell us the most fun way to lose $600 million. Well, I, I would... Okay. Okay. <laughs> you... All right. I don't think it's necessarily fun. It's actually an incredibly boring way to lose $600 million, but it is a lot of money to lose. 
And did a, a quick story on Barclays' loss of $600 million. Uh, basically, what they did was illegally sell uh, various securities because they had filed a shelf registration for, I think it was $2 billion, $2 billion shares or whatever, or up to that amount of money, and went over that by to the tune of $600 million. So it it sounds bad, but in reality, all of the information was out there. It wasn't what no one was necessarily harmed by the lack of a registration statement. Uh, but it was, you know, Matt Levine of Bloomberg has what he thinks is the most likely scenario is that someone in the legal department was in charge of, you know, deducting when they were how much capacity they had left in the shelf registration statement. And then someone probably left probably for law school. Uh, and that handoff didn't necessarily happen. Uh, and then for almost a year, they were selling uh, securities without having a valid shelf registration statement. So it's, it's a really technical, very boring way to lose $600 million. But because of the way the SEC penalties are, it's incredibly draconian. Uh, and they have to offer to buy back those securities at the price that they sold them for. And, you know, so, some of the securities went up. They don't have to sell. The, 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 you have to offer to sell. The folks whose you know investments went up don't have to sell them. But anyone whose securities went down, yeah, they have to. They will probably be selling them back to the. That's that's where that six hundred million dollar number comes from. Yeah, it's an incredibly boring way and shows you uh, just how important legal is. It's you know no one really, especially in big banks like that, no one really thinks about the legal department until something goes terribly awry. Right. <laughs> and, this is just the hypothesis, but it is very interesting. And what strikes me about the whole story is this is the sort of place, not stupid NFTs and stuff like that, but this is the sort of place where blockchains are actually useful, where you can actually have kind of an automated system. You just made this into a tech story. Good and where you have sort of an automated system that like lets you know when things have happened and registers, oh, somebody bought this and it goes down. Like, these should be automatic. It should not be up to a paralegal changing an Excel spreadsheet every time. <laughs> you know, it, like, this is not how this is not how you run a run an economy. Well, yeah, what they, listen, there's an internal investigation happening to figure out exactly what happened. And I am quite sure that on the back end, there's some new process or procedure that will be done. Yeah, so you can lose a lot of money really quickly in the in, as a lawyer. So that's fun. So yes, it, you, you'll never get any of the glory for earning that money for <laughs> for the bank that you work for. But man, you you might lose it. You forget to check a box somewhere, and yeah, you'll uh, could very easily lose a lot of money for a bank. Yeah, no, not not great. I think it's interesting though that this story was one of the top stories of the week because I do think there's this this level of kind of Schadenfreude in that you know has been the mainstay of above the law writing uh, since the very beginning of the blog. But there's a little oh gosh that could have been me moment uh, involved. I'm sure I'm sure this is not the first time that sort of handoff from a departing somebody in the legal department to the next person did not happen perfectly. I'm sure there are other stories out there, but. Maybe Maybe they were caught before the, the registration statement, you know, before they reached their capacity. So there, I'm sure there is, there's other stories out there. And I think that there's a little bit of like, oh, that definitely could have been me or just remembering, I don't know, I left it on the, on the computer. Uh, if no one found it, that's on them. Yeah. Kind of a, kind of a moment. But, but I, I do think that kind of yikes town is, you know, it makes for a good copy. 
So if we've if we've instilled anything in any of the listeners, it's to right now immediately go into your drive and make sure that you've been updating everything you're supposed to be updating. Yeah, you know, especially if you're still working there. You don't want to. And, and listen, there's probably some somebody in the legal department who was overseeing that was supposed to oversee this these folks that were supposed to document all of the shelf statements. And yeah, I'm sure that they're not doing so great right now. All right. Well, with that, let's transition to another one of your stories that was doing very well last week. People may have been following that there's a Supreme Court justice who has some some ethical challenges happening right now. Thankfully, mm. there's no rules. So. Good news. Rules are there are no rules. Uh, yeah, I'm sure folks have probably heard about the unhinged series of text messages between Ginny Thomas and Mark Meadows uh, after Donald Trump lost the 2020 election. There were, I think, 29 various exchanges with lots of exclamation points, lots of urgent language. Not great, though. All kind of perpetuating this this myth that there was some um, something illegal that happened in the 2020 election that that Joe Biden was somehow not the proper president, that he had not won the election, which obviously we all know is not true and it is very much a lie. But Ginny Thomas, wife of Clarence Thomas, was very active in sort of the post-election fervor. Why does that matter? Well, the Supreme Court actually was pretty is pretty involved in whether or not what happens post-insurrection. Thomas was the lone dissent in one of the cases uh, about whether or not the January 6th commission had uh, subpoena powers. Weird, weird that he would be the only dissenting vote. It's almost like he might have been aware that his wife's text messages might come up during the course of this. But does it matter? He doesn't have to recuse himself because there is no clear line in for the high court for who needs to recuse themselves. Which, which a lot of people may think, may be surprised to learn, but the Supreme Court has the power to impose, you know, ethical requirements upon the federal judiciary, but they have ruled amongst themselves in the past that that power to regulate lower judges does not extend to their ability to regulate themselves, and thus they don't. Uh, if people choose to recuse themselves based on kind of taking those rules as advisory, that is one thing, but there is nothing to actually force any of them to recuse themselves in these cases. They, he, he certainly hasn't historically. There are Pretty obviously, I would think uh, lots of calls for him to recuse himself going forward, but he hasn't made any statement about that. The court hasn't hasn't said anything about what will happen uh, in the future. There are folks who would like more severe sanctions. People have been talking about calling on Justice Thomas to resign. I mean, he won't, but people would would like him to. I mean, sure, <laughs> sure, fair. But uh, there even have been a few folks mentioning the I word impeachment for. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it's, again, unlikely to happen either anything more severe than just. Because I can count to 67. So it's yeah. unlikely to happen. Right. But. right. Well, listen, uh, actually removing Trump from office was unlikely to happen as well because you can count to 67. But there were still two articles of impeachment that got passed sure. by the House. But it doesn't even seem like the Democratic leadership in the House is even really seriously considering impeachment at all. But that doesn't mean some 
people are saying the word, uh, it's out there. And I think that when sort of the next election 2020 case comes up is when we'll hear the next kind of spate of like, oh gosh, what's happening? Is he is he hearing this case? Oh great, good news. But it's a reminder that we don't have rules, that we should have rules. Fix the Court's Gabe Roth has, I think, a 10-point plan of what should happen in order to avoid uh, this kind. And to be clear, Fix the Court is not, is, is, been on this train for a very long time. Uh, They think that every justice on the court should have recused themselves at various points in the past because of stock ownership or, you know, other things. There's lots of reasons why people could potentially recuse themselves. um, If you're interested in, in, Mm -hmm. you know, judicial ethics, obviously follow Fix the Court. They're very good at this. Yes, yes. And they're very detailed. A lot of lot of information out there. But it is very interesting that this happened, you know, what is it, nine days after folks were on on Katanji Brown Jackson over whether or not she would recuse herself in a Harvard, you know, affirmative action case, which she has got on the record saying she would recuse herself, which is a lot more information than we have from Justice Thomas. And he's the one who actually, you know, had some actually did something that people have pointed to as unethical, which is hearing that case and being that lone dissent voice. Yeah. Well, all right. I think that's everything we've got for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. You should be subscribed to the show so you get new episodes when they come out. You should be giving reviews, stars, write something. That sort of engagement shows that people care about the show, which means podcast services recommend it to more people, which is always good. Uh, You can check out other shows that we're on. Catherine's the host of The Jabot. I'm a panelist on Legal Tech Week's Journalist Roundtable which is also, it's a webinar, really. So uh, we also come out with an audio later, but you can even watch us have that conversation every week if you wanted. You should check out the other shows from the Legal Talk Network. As always, read Above the Law. That way you can see these stories before they make it to our conversation. You should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at Rights for Rent. She's at Catherine One. The numeral One. Numeral One, yes. Thanks to Posh for sponsoring the show. And that is uh, what we've got this week. Talk to you later. Peace. See you.